good morning to all of you. I'd like to invite you to stand. And for our call of worship this morning, I have a couple of things I want us to reflect our hearts upon. First is this, is that we are gathering together today. And I just pray for you and pray for all, all of us here that is reflective upon the fact that we can be here together. This is something that is good. What are we doing together today? We are together worshiping. We are together hearing the preached word today. We are able to pray together. And we are able to join in understanding and hearing the truth of the gospel today. So it is the gospel that we celebrate. It is the gospel that work in our lives that we come together in and rejoice in. So I just invite you to read with me out of the Psalms here for our call to worship. You can join me in the underlying portions. Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Yes, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Join with me here. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell all of his wondrous works, glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let's rejoice together now as we worship.
Let's trust in the Lord together as we read his word, read the underlying portions with me. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you have I learned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you.
let's read again together. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith in this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's sing together.
Welcome to Four Oaks Killarn. My name is Shannon Piper. I'm the director of children's ministries here, and I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning for our worship service. I'm especially glad if you're joining us for the first time. We would love to get to know you better and help you get to know our church. So if you would please text the word welcome to the number on your screen so we can get you some more information. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. There's a lot going on in the life of our church, and you can find out all about it on the Hub. There are youth events happening during the week, and there are men's Bible studies starting up that you can jump in at any time. We also have our children's ministries broadcast going on on Sunday mornings starting at 8 a.m. Kids, you can find that on our Facebook page or on our web page. You can watch it any time after Sunday morning at 8 a.m. It's been a lot of fun to do those. We have worksheets that you can download and work on at home. And if you're here in the building, we've got hard copies for you kids. We've been enjoying that, and I hope that you guys have been too. Thank you so much for your faithful giving during this season. You can give online on our website. You can use our new church center app. You can text to give. And if you're here in the building this morning, we have boxes in the back as you exit. Thank you so much for worshiping the Lord with your giving. Now join me as we continue our worship service by opening God's word together. Hey, Four Oaks family. This is Stephen Sarah Halsell. We're going to be reading today from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Four Oaks. I'm Pastor Paul. We're definitely preaching in the dark this morning, so just get used to it. Um, no, thanks for, uh, it's great to see so many of you here. Thanks for everybody who's joining us online. Let me just go ahead and say it now, get it out of the way, the elephant in the room. Um, I know that my bald head tans nicely. Thank you very much. So anyway, just wanted to get that out of the way. Hey, before we dive into First Peter this morning, let me put something on your radar that's going to be happening next Sunday night. That would be July 19th at 6.30 p.m., um, we're going to do a live stream uh, from right here, so obviously you'll be watching it. We're asking you to watch it. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m., and really want to be talking about what's next and really casting, a, I think, a renewed vision for what it means as a church family to gather and to be in community as we head towards this fall season. Guys, it's hard to believe we're going on four months since the shutdown. And I'll be honest, um, not just Four Oaks Church, but I think the church global, certainly the church in the West, is really feeling the strain, right, of this season of, of spiritual fatigue, of discouragement, of not being able to gather, or at least gather in the same way that we have been doing. And, and so we're really thinking about, Lord, what's next? What does this look like? How do, how do we be the family of God? How do we come together as God's family to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to be in community? Um, what we're created to do in the midst of the season that we're in. And so I'm going to hopefully, Lord willing, point us in some directions uh, for that. Some ways that as we enter the fall that we can gather more creatively, more strategically, to engage in a more purposeful way as a church Family, So I really want to invite you to, to join us online next Sunday night, 6.30 p.m., foroakscolarn.com, live. What's next? A renewed vision for gathering together and being in community. All right, that's next Sunday night, but this morning we're in 1 Peter chapter 4. You know, every generation has a where were you moment, right? Whether it was JFK or 9-11 or the Challenger space shuttle or Pearl Harbor but for us, undoubtedly, it is going to be, where were you when the world shut down? Now, remember, in January and February, there was, there was rumblings and there was concerns and there was talk shows. And we were kind of just tossing back and forth. What does this look like? What's going to happen? But what to me was incredibly shocking is that how around the second week of March, the speed and the rapidity in which life ground to a halt. Do you remember that? It was like one minute, it was totally normal. ESPN, baseball, going to AMC, watching a movie, eating out, going to Disney World, being here for worship. The next day, crickets. Right? The next day, ghost town. And if you, if you remember that feeling, you, could remember, you can put yourself a little bit in the shoes of these churches in Asia Minor that Peter is writing 
See, they had been living life as believers 30 years after Christ's death, and certainly they were experiencing their share of hardships and trials and pushback from the culture around them. Certainly challenging, certainly hard. But the next thing you know, almost in the blink of the eye, and Peter alludes to it here, when he says, when he talks about these fiery trials that have come upon them, and that word is a verb of motion. It literally means to speedily create or speedily become. Believers began to thrown, be thrown into prison. They began to be kicked out of town. They were banished from public life. They were fired from their jobs. And it was sort of a spiritual shock and awe to them. In fact, that word fiery trials, it literally means to make a fire from a furnace. You know, we don't know this for sure. What I'm about to say is a little bit of pastoral speculation. But Peter is writing this letter probably six to nine, 12 months before he himself is martyred. And probably just after or right around the time that Rome burned to the ground. Now, if you know your history a little bit, you know that Nero, it has been long hypothesized that he is the one who orchestrated the burning of Rome because he wanted to get rid of the slums and to build magnificent new structures. But as the people began to riot and rebel, he had to find a convenient scapegoat. And guess who that was? You and me, Christians, the church. And this is when Nero began to make sport of Christians and public persecution, oftentimes literally by fire, took place. Now, did, did Peter have all this imagery in mind as he's in these events, as he's writing? Because remember, Peter was in Rome. Was this the sort of thing that moved persecution in the church from a kind of a localized reality to more of an empire-wide reality? We're not, we're not completely sure, but, but make no mistake, these churches in Asia Minor, oftentimes like us, were experiencing a spiritual shock. And it's interesting that Peter says two things about these trials right off to sort of set the stage, to sort of set the boundaries And let's be honest, they are almost nonsensical to us as 21st century listeners, even Christians. And the first one is this. Look at the text, verse 12. He says, don't be surprised as if something strange is happening to you. In other words, Peter is wanting to remind them and to remind us this morning, it's not peculiar for God's people to suffer. In fact, it is to be expected. It is par for the course. Now, one of the realities of living in North America for the last hundred years is that we have been largely insulated from the fear of, are we going to wake up alive in the morning? It doesn't mean that there hasn't been wars and rumors of war and disease and those sorts of things, but what it means is that on a daily basis, most of us have been able to lay our heads down on the pillow at night with a reasonable certainty that we are going to wake up in the morning. There's not going to be any war ravaging our land. There's no pestilence. There's no famine. There's no black plague. There's no political exterminations going on. We have long lifespans, and modernity has lulled us into this sleep. And I think it's unfortunate because it's made us forget, has it not, church? that we are strangers, we are sojourners, we are exiles. This is not our home until, until 
something like this happens. That's happened over the last four months. And then we are awakened. Our senses are sharp. We are reminded. And so Peter, right off the bat, wants to remind us nothing strange here. Nothing strange here. But the second thing he says, and this is equally shocking, look at verse 13. He says, and when this happens, church, ready for this? Rejoice. Be glad. Recognize that this is the good life. This is the life of flourishing. We, we hear in this echoes of James 1, right? Remember what does James say? Count it all joy, brethren, when you suffer. That was the King James Version. I have to just slip the brethren in there. And now remember when Peter says this, you may say, well, that's, a, all, that's great for Peter. He's just this insulated dude who's leading the church in Rome. No, no. Guys, you know that's not the case. Peter is the sufferer par excellence. How would you like it Right before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he looks at you and he tells you how you're going to die. And it's going to be just the way that Jesus himself died. Peter lived under the specter of death for 30 years that he was going to be crucified. And church history says, yes, indeed, not long after this letter, he was indeed crucified upside down. Peter had seen most of his close friends die. He had seen those he had poured his life into suffer. He himself, he himself had been dragged before the council. Remember this in Acts 4 in the Sanhedrin with John. And the very council that was weighing or that had weighed the death sentence against Jesus is now weighing it against Peter. And so let's not have any misunderstanding this morning, church. Peter is not speaking from the ivory tower of suffering. He is right there with them. And so Peter begins here in this passage in verse 12, and he says, Beloved. Now this is, I'm just trying to get us to to picture ourselves, to help us to be there. Just imagine this letter being read in these churches in Asia Minor. And they hear, Beloved. It's almost as if, in other words, literally translated, Dear Friends. You can hear Peter coming this morning to Four Oaks and saying, Dear Friends. Come closer here just for a second. Let me just grab some of your attention. Let me give you some words. As a spiritual father, let me tell you why you can rejoice in these trials. Why you can be battered, but yet blessed. There's going to be two reasons that Peter gives us this morning, and this is where we're heading for these next few minutes. Number one, we're blessed because... We are being refined in our faith, number one. And number two, we are blessed because we are being shaped through Christ's suffering. And we're praying this morning, I'm praying for folks, that God will give you ears to hear. He'll give me ears to hear. He will give our church family ears to hear. Because I think what Peter says for us this morning is timely and it is true. And it is good. And let's pray as we commit our time to the Lord. Lord Jesus despite what my aspirations might be, Lord, in order for this text to take off, in order for it to have roots, in order for it to land, in order for it to work in our hearts and change our lives and move us to where you call us to be as a church family, your spirit must show up. Holy Spirit, would you meet us here this morning? Whether someone is sitting right here in this room or watching a thousand miles away online, Lord, would you do your work 
through your word and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, number one, here we go. Buckle up. We are blessed because we are being refined in our faith. Verse 12, Peter again says, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. And here it is, in order to what? In other words, this is the underlying purpose of trials for the people of God. He says, to test you. I'm not sure what kind of imagery that conjures up in your mind when you think about test or exam. This is the first time in forever where students actually took exams, final exams, online. I'm not sure what that experience was like. But we think about that, maybe that was a terrible experience for you students, but that's not the kind of test that Peter is talking about. So in other words, at the end of this COVID season, whenever that may be, God's going to look at Paul and Paul Gilbert and say, Paul, I give you a C minus, okay, for that season. Meh, right? Steve Curio, I give him an A plus just because he's awesome, right? That, that, that's not, okay, by the way, the kind of test that Peter is talking about, like a grade. The word to test literally means to validate, to confirm, to authenticate, to see if something is real. So think back in those days as a newlywed couples where you were poor and you were just looking for $4 to eat Hungry Howie's Pizza on a Friday night. And you're climbing through the, the jewelry, in, I mean, the, uh, the coins in your couch, and you come across this little piece of jewelry in the jewelry box or somewhere, and you take it to the jeweler because you want to find out if it's real. And what, is, what does he or she do? They pour acid on it. They get the magnifying glass. They're wanting to clear away all the crud so they can tell you accurately what you have. That's what Peter says trials are doing in your life and in my life. Now, another word for trial, or I'm sorry, or for test in this passage, look at verse 17, is the word judgment, which can always set us on edge a little bit. Look at, me, look at verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with all the heathen out there? No. We'll get to that in a second. It begins with you and me, the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so Peter says there are, there are always two things, okay, happening in any sort of crisis, any sort of trial. There is a, there's something first that's happening for the people of God. And I think Peter is drawing from Malachi 3 here. So look at Malachi 3 with me. 3 verse 1. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Already, For he is a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So what Peter is saying that for the believer this is a refining judgment. It's one of purification. But Peter also says and Malachi goes on to say but this judgment also extends to the world. Now look at verse 5. Then I will draw near what does Malachi say for judgment? I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who tr tr 
Um, thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is a judgment of warning. See, what, what Peter is saying here is that for God's people, trials, under, please, this is so important, are not trials or judgment of condemnation. They are a test of confirmation. For the world, trials are a judgment or a preview of the final judgment, as if to say, if you continue in this way, if there is no change and if there is no repentance, this is your course. But please understand something, and this is so hard. This is like the gospel turned upside down, our, our, our common sense turned upside down, where the gospel speaks into it. Peter is telling us that Christian fiery trials are a gracious thing, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Because if you're a believer, trials reveal the nature of your heart. Hasn't this season just totally exposed whatever your idols are? This is God just digging down into the depths of your soul and pulling out all that's impure and unrighteous. And at the same time, isn't it interesting that in seasons like this, and we saw this with 9-11, that when these sorts of trials, fiery trials, come upon the world, it's, again, like spiritual smelling salts. People stop They take inventory. They ask, what is important? They ask questions they otherwise wouldn't be asking. And that's what seasons like this allow us all to do because there is an increased openness in the heart of the believer and the unbeliever when we realize we are just mere men. We are just mere women. We are human beings. No matter how much we invest and save and put towards Um, life in this earth, we know ultimately this is not our home. Guys, let me just say that I think for the evangelical church at large, this is our Katrina moment. And what do I mean by Katrina moment? Katrina the hurricane back in 2005. And you remember when it swept through New Orleans and thousands of lives were destroyed and uprooted and Over the next year or two, as people came back, right, to that city to to plant their roots again, everybody realized, you know, not everybody is coming back. There's some that have moved on. There's some that have relocated. There's, There's some who their life here is over. And for the church, this is going to be that kind of season, Four Oaks, for you and me personally, this is going to be that kind of season. We are not going to be the same church that we were at the end as we were at the beginning. See, this this season just sort of totally undercuts this idea of nominal Christianity or having a peripheral sort of relationship with Christ. It really is beginning to define who is following the King of Kings. Who are you trusting in? What are you building your life upon? I was talking to one of our staff members this week who has relatives in Portland. And Portland, you know, incredibly secular. All the stereotypes that are associated with a place like Portland. And they were, they were fearful because they were starting to visit churches. 
And they were like, man, can we find a good church? Can we find a gospel-centered church? We're coming from an area of the country in the south where gospel churches are everywhere. And here's what shocked them. Here's what surprised them. They found so many good churches, it was hard to decide. There were so many gospel-preaching churches, and we may say, no, no, why is that? And their explanation was very simple. Why would you be a nominal Christian in Portland? What does that gain you? Why, why have sort of a Sunday-only, you know, we show up for a little bit of worship, but we go on and re- live the rest of our lives and do our own thing? Why, why bother? Like, like in, a, in a culture like that, you're either following Christ or you were not. Let me ask you a question before we leave this point. What about you? What in your own hearts is this season exposing? What is it showing you about your relationship to the body of Christ or lack thereof? What is it showing you and me about what we are building our life upon? And I think the call here would be don't waste our crisis. Now, we know, let me just say this, Peter acknowledges this is not an easy process. If you look back down on verse 18, this is what Peter says. He says, if the righteous is scarcely saved. Now, what does that mean, if the righteous is scarcely saved? It doesn't mean that you can just be barely saved, right? That doesn't know, that's not what it means. It means saved with difficulty, It means that trials are difficult, and they test us in this life, but they are worth it. And here's what John MacArthur says about this. He says, you say it's tough to suffer. Better you should suffer now as he tests and purges you and fits you for usefulness and glory than that you should not suffer now, but suffer then forever and ever. That's far worse. Now, there is a kind of suffering that happens, Peter says, look at verse 15, that's not for Christ's sake, but it's a result of our own sin. Look at verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Now, those first three, we're just, I mean, come on, let's be honest. We're all like, I, that's no problem, Pastor Paul. Killed no one. Stolen nothing, well, maybe something from my family member. Okay, but, but besides that, no, no evil deeds. But then don't you, I mean, this is where, if you're, if you're reading this, you're just like, Peter, why would you throw this one in there? Meddler. Now, that's an interesting term. It literally means not merely a busybody. Okay, it does mean that, but it means a lot more than that. It says it means someone who takes on an improper ownership for something that doesn't belong to them. Someone who stirs it up. Someone who feeds on the drama. And isn't it interesting that in, in fiery trials across the New Testament, what is the continued admonition of the apostles to the church? Just an example, 1 Thessalonians 4. This is what Paul says. But we urge you, brothers, to aspire to live quietly. Now listen, this is tough. And to mind your own affairs. 
and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. To walk properly for outsiders, to, to live quietly. In other words, keep your head down. Keep your eye on the ball. Understand something, church, eternal realities are at stake. There, there is an order of priority in our lives. You could hear him saying, Peter saying, if you're going to offend someone in our culture, let it be because of the gospel. Let it be because of Jesus. Don't let it be because you're a meddler. You're stirring it up. You're poking around. You're making judgments about people. You're posting stuff. Got to communicate your take. May it be your gospel witness, Peter says. May you, look at verse 16, suffer as a Christian. Now, isn't that interesting? It's one of the few times in the New Testament that the word Christian is used. We know that it was first applied to believers in Antioch. We learned that from the book of Acts. But for us, particularly in a southern culture, Christian is not a bad term necessarily, right? There's still some modicum of, of respectability attached to it. But understand something. In the New Testament, there was no such luxury afforded the word Christian. In fact, it was probably a term of derision. It was probably a term given by outsiders to people in the church to attach them to the name of Christ, which was an absolute scandal. Think about how you feel when someone comes up to you and says, are you a Christian? Versus if they come up to you and say, are you one of those Jesus freaks? Just think about the, just immediately how, how you just, that's the nature of that term. And Peter wants to remind us as 21st century Christians we have, to, we have to say this, church, there is a difference between suffering as a Christian than suffering as an American. And here's what I mean by this. Who we are as citizens of this country and this world always, always, always has to be superseded by the gospel. It has to be superseded by biblical categories. See, the rights and the privileges that are given to me as an American citizen, which I treasure, which I love, which I value, do you, we have to understand, right, that those are not necessarily the same promises and rights that the Bible gives us as believers. Those are, there's overlap, yes, but they're two fundamentally different things. And when I elevate my status as an American, it says, that's priority. If Peter were here, I think he would just gently ask us, hey, are this suffering, this opposition, this, this difficulty that you're experiencing this season, is, is it because you're American? Or is it because you're a Christian? Is it because you're standing on the gospel? And you're letting that be the point of intersection with your culture. See, I think we miss something, church. I think we miss something. And this is, this, is, this is all of us. This is me. This is not me pointing the finger at you. This is like right back at me. 
Because I have opinions about these things. I watch the news. I listen to the radio. All those things way more than I should. And I've got incredibly strong opinions. And a lot of times I'm angry or discouraged all at the same time. And I have to say, but, but Paul, wait a minute. Is what's animating you this? Or is it something else? But here's a second thing that we miss when we, when we take this tack. We, we miss this last thing that Peter mentions. And he mentions Christian, when you suffer, when you don't suffer as a, as a Christian. In other words, when, you don't, when you're not suffering, when you're suffering because of things that you're doing that are meddling or what have you, you miss the opportunity to suffer alongside of your Savior. Last point. The second reason Peter says we are blessed but not broken, broken but not blessed, is because we are being shaped through Christ's sufferings. Look at verse 13 again. He says rejoice. Now understand something. That is not a one-time action. It's not like you get up in the morning feeling discouraged and you rejoice and you go through the rest of the day being sullen and down. It's a continuous action. You can't say, well, why aren't you rejoicing? And say, well, I rejoice this morning, right? You can't say that. To share in Christ's sufferings is an ongoing communion and partnership. In fact, that word share in verse 13, it's koinonia. And it's the same word that we use when we call you to the table and say, come and commune, communion with the Lord, fellowship with him. Same word. It's a deep, intimate, spiritual connection with our Savior. Jesus is saying, this is how you know me. This is how you really know me. This is how you know if I really love you when you share in my sufferings. And that these sufferings are not a curse, that they are a gift. And look, listen to the way Paul describes this in Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may what? Share. That I may coin a Nia in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So when Peter talks about sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and by the way, I don't think it just means necessarily just for righteousness' sake, but as John Piper would say, and has said, and I think this is right, Anything that we experience in this life in the path of obedience to Jesus. And that might be being a gospel witness, but that might mean death or sickness or natural disaster or pandemics. All of them are an opportunity for the people of God, as Colossians 1 says, to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. It doesn't mean that we're making up some deficit in Christ's sufferings. What we're saying is that we are displaying the sufferings of Christ in our body so that when people look at us, they should know what is most valuable to that person. What, what, what is the central treasure in their life? What is it that their heart most gravitates to? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you, granted, that 
For the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That word granted means literally favor. God's given you a favor. God's granted you a gift. That even if you are insulted, you rejoice because, Christian, it's a confirmation of who you are. It's an affirmation of your relationship with Jesus Jesus Christ when you share in his sufferings. This is why Paul says, look at verse 19, you can entrust your soul to him who will do right. Entrust, it literally means to make a deposit. So in the ancient Near East, when you were going on a journey and you had a bunch of money and there was no such thing as a bank, you didn't leave your money in your tent. You get it? You didn't leave your money in a little hole in the ground in your abode. You had to give it to someone trustworthy who would take care of it while you were gone. I remember when the first time Susan and I left, it was just the girls at that time, our two little girls, we left them for the first time to go out of town overnight somewhere. Now we had like done the whole dinner thing and go on a date night and all that, but when we when we left them to actually go, I think it was out of the country, go out of the country for a few nights, we couldn't just call in any babysitter, right? We had to call in the big guns. Grandma, grandpa. We knew like they would rather give up their own lives than anything happen to these grandchildren, right? We could entrust our kids to them because they were completely trustworthy. See, that's the nature of what Peter's saying. He's saying, if you ever doubt the goodness of God, church, entrust yourself to him. In fact, Peter says, entrust to God your creator. Now, why does Peter use the word creator? Because it's the only, do you know it's the only time in the New Testament, New Testament that God is referred to as creator? The only time. And it's this, Peter is saying, you can entrust your suffering and your trials to Jesus because God is the architect of them. God is the grand designer. He stands behind all of this. Church, he would say, in his saying, this is all of me. I'm, I'm working my good and perfect will in your lives this season. In fact, I'm designing these trials and these sufferings so that you might draw close to me, so that your faith might be refined, and so that you might display the glorious nature of the gospel to everyone around you. So how do you and I trust God? How do we entrust ourselves to him this season? You just got to love the Bible. You got to love Peter. Look, Look at verse 19. Entrust souls to a faithful creator, what? While doing good. What a great mantle to put over everything we do this season. Are we doing good? And, by the, and, and I think what Peter's getting at here, what does faithfulness look like? What does virtuous, gospel-centered, Christ-centered living look like in this situation? And let's be honest, when, when, when there's so much in us that just wants to fix everything that's wrong around us, I think Peter's just saying, just keep your head down and be obedient. Just be faithful. Don't get blown off course by the news. 
Don't get consternated by legal rulings. Don't get off your Twitter feed for, for, for a while. Take a walk, get your head down, pray, and think about, God, what are you calling me to do today? I think Peter would say, don't be deterred. In fact, oftentimes, just, just close your lips and trust yourself to me because, in fact, that's what Jesus did for us. If there's anyone, anyone who could have spoken up and said, this is not right, this is unfair, this trial is not deserved, it is who? It is Jesus Christ. But like a lamb led to the slaughter, he says, I'm submitting myself so that I can lay my life down for you, so that you can know me, so that you can have hearts forgiven and lives reorient to the reality of the good news of the gospel. Church, what an amazing opportunity this season. Not an easy opportunity. Great difficulty, Peter says, with great difficulty. But what a great opportunity to renew and remind ourselves of our commitment to Christ. And to proclaim to a dying world who now more than ever, is it not true, desperately needs this good news. Entrust yourself to the Savior, to the Creator God, who has your best in mind. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would, as we come to the table, and as we share... In the table, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that we would imitate him, we would walk with him, we would be fed by him, that we would run to him. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you to go ahead and secure your uh, communion elements uh, found beneath your chair, your seats where you are. When you do so, you can go ahead and stand. I want to reread to us the last verse of our passage this morning, where the Apostle Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. As we share in communion this morning, we are reminded of a more profound suffering that took place according to the will of God, and that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We were reminded that his broken body and his shed blood and our faith in what has taken place, our faith in Jesus Christ, secures us to God. We have been reconciled to God, and therefore we are released, we are free to do what is good and to proclaim what is good, and that is Jesus Christ. So what I ask you to do is to reflect upon this as we take communion together today, reflecting upon the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. So as we take the bread, we're reminded of Jesus' body, broken on the cross. Let's take it together. The cup that we drink together is a reminder of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant that we share by faith in a new life with him, free from sin, free from death. Let's take it together.
us now rejoice in this Savior, the freedom we have in the gospel, giving praise to him now. Amen. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed
Amen. Before you leave today, if you need prayer, if God is working in your heart and you need someone to come alongside you this morning, please grab one of the pastors or elders. We would love to pray with you before you leave this morning. Remember to check our website for all the things going on at Forest Kalarm. We'd love to join with you and just continue to live life with you and praising God together and giving thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our benediction today is from the book of Jude. Receive this word from the Lord. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. May you have a blessed Lord's day. Amen. Our green section, you guys can have a moment here with us. Uh, Blue section to my left, red section to my right, and our balcony, you guys may be dismissed. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.